This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today I'm excited to welcome Casey Barnes of Mama Knows Nutrition. Casey is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's of clinical nutrition, and she has specialized her practice in working with toddlers. So she is the biggest toddler dietitian I've seen on Instagram. She is busy working hard, providing all kinds of resources for you guys there. And she just drops all kinds of wisdom and knowledge on us today. Really, really practical tips about struggles at mealtime, getting toddlers to sit in their chairs at the table, trying new foods, picky eaters, what we're in control of when it comes to having our children eat and what we're not in control of and what our role is and what it isn't. So many valuable tidbits of knowledge in this interview, and I can't wait for you guys to hear and listen. First, before we jump in, I just want to read a review from iTunes because you guys have been showing me so much love and support, and this launch has been amazing. I'm so grateful and thankful, and I just want to repay the love by sharing one of these reviews. So this review is from Lauren, and it says, Erica does an incredible job at speaking about the most relatable topics to motherhood and our mental health when you think you are in it alone and even talks about her own struggles. Her podcasts are a must-listen for all moms. Finally, a relatable podcast. I just want to say thank you so much, Lauren, and I thank you guys so much for your support. You guys are the reason that I'm putting in the hard work and showing up here each week, providing you guys with free, valuable resources. So without further ado, let's hear from Casey. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. I have been following your Instagram for some time, and I just love all of the information you share and the pictures you share. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. And thank you. I really spend a lot of time on that. So I'm glad that you appreciate it. I Oh, I hear you. The invisible work that goes into keeping these <laughs> Instagram accounts running and going. So a first stop. Okay. I have so many questions for you. I, like we're going to get to it, but I really am so curious to know what a toddler dietitian is and how the heck one stumbles into that type of a specialty. I kind of made it up, I guess. There's no like official certification that qualifies, you know, there's not, you can't apply to become a toddler dietitian, but I am a registered dietitian and I just kind of 
focused on this age group because personally, this was the hardest for me. My oldest is almost five. And when he got to that toddler age, I was like, oh my goodness, I have all the knowledge and everything. And this is just really hard as a mom to navigate this. So since that was kind of the hard part for me, I thought it's got to be hard for other people too. And I know talking to other moms, it was. And that's just kind of what made me say, okay, this is where I'm going to focus. And it's such an important developmental time that um, it just, you know, so much is happening and I want to be able to help moms set up those healthy habits for life. I have never been so frustrated than at a mealtime with my kids. Like, I'm just going to level with you. I'm a psychotherapist. <laughs> I know all of the breathing and coping and every kind of strategy I have in the book. I've got three kids. I've got three boys. They're four, two, and one. So dinner time is interesting to say the least. And it's such like, it's an important conversation. It comes up with clients that I work with all the time in a therapy setting, like these evening routines and these meal times, especially around this age group, like you said. So I love that you've niched down and you are really serving moms with kids in this age group. I just, I appreciate it so much as one of those moms over here, you know, yes. raising my <laughs> absolutely. So. What are some of the biggest themes or concerns you hear from mom? Because I'm going to be honest, I open lots of different Instagram pages that have these gorgeous lunches in these, you know, like what are they called? Plant box, these like metal lunch containers mm -hmm. and they look amazing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm lucky that my kids are fed today with everything that's going on. And it can all seem really overwhelming. It can seem um, shame inducing. Like if I'm not hitting the mark and my kids aren't getting the nutrition that I feel and expect that they should have. So as a mom, I've got all of my own stuff and reactions that come up around food and, and how my kids should eat. And then when they don't eat or when they refuse to eat or when they won't eat food that is quote unquote good for them or whatever, then I get really like frustrated or this, like, like this battle goes on within me, right? This tug of war of like, well, they need to be nourishing themselves. So how is this something that you like, is this where this need came from or is it more the behaviors that parents wrestle with or? What you're describing is what a lot of moms come to me, like just with those kinds of concerns and those inner feelings of, you know, we all wonder as a mom, am I doing enough? Am I doing what my kid needs? And and then, yeah, you look at those beautiful pictures on Instagram and Pinterest and you say, oh my goodness, I'm barely surviving <laughs> through today. So that is something that I find a lot of times I'm providing reassurance and I'm so happy to do that for moms to kind of give them that reflection of what is reality and what to actually aim for and then reminding them that they are doing an amazing job already. The, simply put, like they don't need to do all that. They can if they want to, and it's fun for them, but you don't have to do that above and beyond to be giving your kids what they need. Right. Like there's going to be times when you're sick or the whole house is sick and everybody's living off of cereal and that's, it is what it is, right? <laughs> yes, and then there yes. are going to be other days that you've got those Instagram worthy lunch photos, whether you share them or not. Right. Right. So, I love, so you've got so many practical guides and things. So I'd love for us to unpack a little bit, like how can we make the whole idea of 
nutritious eating for our kids like approachable and not so overwhelming? I think tuning out the stuff that we hear about what's the best diet, what's the healthiest food, because yeah, that stuff is interesting and there's a place for that. But really at a minimum, if you're thinking about a balanced diet of offering your kids fruits and vegetables every day, and I say offering, not them eating because we never know what they're actually going to eat, but they're seeing those fruits and vegetables. You're offering different um, food groups and really just getting variety in. Like That's what I care about, making sure that you're serving them foods that you make at home as much as you can, whatever that looks like for you. And really like it can stop there. You don't have to be researching like the health benefits of, I heard someone talking about moringa powder today and I'm like, that's cool. But when you're in the trenches and you've got young kids at home, like just focus on, am I offering them fruits and vegetables and a variety of other foods? And that's good. Yeah. One of the things I love that you teach is like healthy relationship with food. And can you help us like help moms unpack like what that means and and how we go about doing that with our kids? Yes, this is so important. And this is what I really strive to help parents to understand is that it doesn't have to be about eating the healthiest foods all this time. Like I said, your worth and your value and your child's worth and their value do not depend on the foods that you or they eat. And having that healthy relationship with food means that they learn to be in tune with their body's internal cues and honoring those, listening to, have I had enough? Do I need more to eat? I need to nourish myself. And it's also about being flexible, not super rigid around eating and not obsessing over the nutrition content. Yes, I as a dietitian do usually glance at nutrition info. But if it's not perfect, I'm still okay feeding it to my kids. Sometimes you want to value the nutrition, but not make it a religion. And there's this really great book called Intuitive Eating. It's by Evelyn Tribley and Elise Resch, I think. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, actually. But they call it like a gentle nutrition. And I love that approach because you're incorporating those basics that I was talking about, but it's not it's not all consuming and it's not putting any value or worth around the foods that you eat. I am familiar with intuitive eating and we had a psychologist, a body image expert on in episode four, talking about our relationship to food and diet culture. And, you know, to the point that even we had this Weight Watchers app for kids come out um, and how it relates to eating disorders and all these types mm-hmm. of things, right? And one of the things that I'm learning in and connecting with a few different dietitians, whether it be like with you and, and kids in this area or whether it's with women, um, you know, who are older and struggling with body image, is that it's really hard to separate food and our thoughts and ideas around food from like our worth, like like food, like is just it's beyond just food. There's this whole psychology piece behind it. I feel like when we're talking about intuitive eating, and you had said the shame that comes up or the worth and your value is not in whether your kid eats vegetables that day or not, you know. And it's mm-hmm. so it's hard yeah. for moms. It's a hard conversation. 
It is. I I put this one post up that was something like, you're you're still a good mom if your kid doesn't eat kale. And so many moms were like, thank you. I just, sometimes you just need that snap back to reality of like, oh wait, what's important? And am I doing what I actually need to be doing? And it's okay if their nutrition isn't perfect. But I think, yeah, it can be really hard to avoid putting that pressure on yourself. Yeah. And like, and I grew up eating like Mr. Noodles and (laughs) cereal all the time. (laughs) And like all of these things, you know, we were fed and it was just a different mindset. And now the expectation these days and with the overwhelm of information and knowledge for people is that it's like, it becomes incredibly intimidating and overwhelming. And, and moms and parents just want to make the right choices and do what's best for their kids. But then they, you know, feel like they're failing all the time when they're not measuring up or their kids aren't eating like broccoli at dinner every night or whatever. Yes. And I hear moms coming to me who are just paralyzed because there is so much information out there and they've read it all. And they're like, wait, this is saying two completely different things. I have no idea what to do. And it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that like, then it becomes a power struggle. And maybe this is something that you've got some tips around is how to get around this power struggle because then it the parents are like, you know, you have to eat this and bartering starts happening or, um, you know, you'll get a treat or refusal to eat or, you know, this, I, I see it even in my own house sometimes, this power struggle where I'm like, you need to eat your vegetables. And my kids are like, have their own opinions and ideas about it. How do you guide parents through power struggles at mealtime? Yes, this is huge. And the main thing to know, you don't have to remember the name of it, but it's called the division of responsibility in feeding. And this basically sets aside what is your job and your role as a parent and what is their job and their role as the child. And this even starts with them as a baby. So from birth, you want to keep this in mind. Your job as the parent is to decide what and when the eating occurs. And then they, as the child, decide if and how much to eat. So that having that mindset eliminates so much of that power struggle because you are realizing that you're not in control of what they put in their mouth. You don't need to be. They need to learn that and have that independence and be able to trust what their body is telling them. So yes, we really sometimes want them to just eat that broccoli so we can feel like we did a good job right. and we're a good mom. But but you are, just by serving them those foods, that's your job. It ends there. That's so interesting. And so I've learned this in working with parents like a while ago, and it was a major shift for me to take that approach. Like I choose when their mealtimes are. I choose what they eat, but I don't choose how much they eat. I don't force them to eat. And I constantly am like, you know, checking in with them like, well, how full is your tummy? Are you going to have a hungry tummy? And talking about um, them being in tune with their tummy and their fullness and their body cues and learning that body trust, right? So that like – incredibly difficult for me. And sometimes my kids legitimately like choose not to eat. And I'm like, like, what do you tell people to do in those types of situations? Usually for most kids, it's totally fine. You get every once in a while, a kid who's really having trouble gaining weight. But for a majority of kids, it's really normal for them not to always eat at mealtimes. I mean, even think about your own hunger. It's not exactly the same every single day. And with how much they have going on with their growth and their development, it's just going to change. And so we need to be able to trust them to tune in. And 
something that usually gives parents a peace of mind is reminding yourself that you are giving them several opportunities throughout the day to eat. If you're sticking to a regular meal routine and snack routine, they're having an opportunity every couple hours. They are not going to starve. And it's totally fine if they don't want to eat at a meal. And the best thing for us to do is to honor that and say, okay, they're not hungry. I need to learn to trust them in that. And worst case scenario, say they skip lunch, for example, and you decide, okay, I need to actually move snack up earlier than normal because I can see that they're very hungry, then you do that. So it's not the end of the world. Even if they skip dinner, they can make it till the next day without eating. Right. Yes. And my kids, like, sometimes they will skip dinner and I'll say, okay, well, if you get hungry before bed, this is the food that you'll return to. Like, I set a boundary, like they can't just refuse food all the time, right? Um, and and they inevitably do eat their next meal because they're hungry. And and I do try to allow them that autonomy to decide when they're full and when they're not full. Sometimes it's just a power struggle and they do return to the food after. But giving them the choice to do that, I feel like often just disengages that whole, like we just bypass that whole power struggle, right? Absolutely. Yes. One of the things that you mentioned is like, meal times and schedules. So do you have kind of an ideal or or a routine for food throughout the day that you coach parents on? I do. What I really like to avoid is grazing. And it's so easy to fall into that habit, but it's really not great for them because one, they don't ever get a chance to really fill fill up. So they don't get that hunger that we want them to build up for a meal. And also just for their digestive system, it's really great to have a rest time. So For young children, I like to see them having an opportunity to eat every two to three hours. So it might look like breakfast when they get up, a mid-morning snack, lunch, mid-afternoon snack, dinner, a optional bedtime snack, depending on how early dinner is, but that's usually the flow. And then as they get a little bit older, you'll usually drop out one of those snacks. Um, But that's the ideal of what I like to see. It does not have to be a rigid schedule of every single day at 12 p.m. is when we have lunch. You know, you can be flexible with your changing schedule, but I do like to see that general um, general routine in place. Right. So that they're not grazing and that when they do sit down for their meal, especially those meals where you're going to introduce new foods and have them try it, they're coming on a hungry tummy where you're less likely to be met with power struggle and refusal, right? Exactly. Yeah. One of the things that you had mentioned is that like, you know, if they refuse lunch and you bump snack up a little bit earlier and stuff like that, how, like, this is just sort of my own struggle coming up and I'll be honest with it is like how the wrestling between disciplining, like should refusal of food be something that has a consequence or is it something that you give them full choice and autonomy over? And I kind of like wrestle with like where the boundary is there. And if kids, I don't know, I'm wrestling with that one. Do you mean like, uh, tell me more what you mean. I don't mean discipline as in like punished, but I mean like, I don't know. For example, the example that I gave about dinner time. Okay, you can choose not to eat, but if you come and ask me for a snack before bed, I'm going to redirect you back to your meal that you didn't touch. 
for example. Like to me, that's consequencing them. Like you're not going to refuse your food at dinner time and then come back around in an hour and say, I want veggie sticks yes. or right? <laughs> you know, or like a snack or like a snackish type of food. I'm gonna say, no, you know, like your plate is on the table still and it has your chicken and your whatever, whatever. Well, right? so you're guiding so, them in knowing what's appropriate. Yeah. They're still learning. They don't understand. I mean, they would probably eat veggie straws for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if we if we said that was okay. So you don't have to feel guilty about saying, you know, you work really hard as a parent to prepare food for your child. It's a lot of work and they don't understand that. They don't care. The stuff in the pantry is way cooler than whatever mom makes, but it's, (laughs) (laughs) but it's still in my, in my view, it's appropriate to say, this is what I prepared. If you would like it, then you can eat it. If you don't, that's okay too, but we're not going to go get other options. I I don't like to waste food. You know, you're not, you're not depriving them. Right. And I think that in allowing them to have some control over if they eat or not, isn't saying no boundaries. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Like for parents who are trying to understand and, and implement this at home, giving them control over when and what they eat, like at, at dinner time at the table, isn't saying, okay, they can decide that I don't want to eat what mom cooks and I can request another meal, yes. for example. Or, you know, it's not giving them full control. So can we kind of break that down a little bit for parents? Because I think that I see parents struggle with that a lot, going from having very rigid boundaries to like taking off all the boundaries and not really knowing how to get to that in between, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So what I typically recommend is that when you're making a meal for the family, you're going to have at least one to two items around one to two items that you know your little ones are comfortable with, whether that's rice or bread or fruit or something like that. Something is included so that when they come to the table, they see this familiar food. So you're making that, that option available to them. And then you're not going to cook something different if they say they don't want what's out there. You have, you know that you've provided food that you can reasonably expect that they'll eat. So I find that is kind of that middle ground of not like eat this or starve, you know, <laughs> it's not like that right. kind of approach, but it's also not like, sure, what would you like? I'll make you whatever you want. I'll whip up whatever, you know. Totally. So you know that they've had at least something in their bodies, something that they will gravitate towards and eat, but you've also presented them with a new food that they can try a couple bites of or maybe just get familiar with and not eat it that first time. But then next time you might have more success with that. Yes, exactly. And we're not getting into a conversation about you need to eat this many bites of this or anything like that. You can explain what the food is if it's something unfamiliar to them, but you're not getting hung up on whether they eat it or not. All right. Interesting. And so I'm sure picky eating is something that you deal with often mm-hmm. with moms. So when it comes to how we introduce these new foods and, and dealing with picky eating, what might be some of the practical approaches? One of the biggest things that we often overlook in today's busy, busy time is that we – forget that them being exposed to the food before it appears on the table is a huge 
part in them being comfortable enough to try it. So if you're at all able to get your kids in the kitchen with you, whatever day you have that you actually have the time to do that um, and have do them do something like rinse the green beans off in the sink or pour the can of beans into the strainer, whatever it is, they're getting that exposure in a really low pressure setting because they're not expected, even if you're not saying at the table, you need to try this, they, there's still a little bit more pressure there when eating is happening. So if they can be in a in a position where they can observe the food, maybe touch it, smell it, and not have to eat it, usually that's going to help increase their comfort level a lot. And so that's part of that whole exposure. A lot of people here are like, oh, they have to try something 10 times before they'll eat it or something like that. And I just like, whatever, I, I don't really believe that there's a set thing, you know, it's just having that regular exposure, serving the foods that you eventually want them to be eating is so key in just having them increase that comfort level. And then another thing that I really like is giving them choices. At this toddler age, they do really want the control. And so being able to say, would you like, um, would you like broccoli that's raw and crunchy or steamed and soft? And like, who cares what they choose, you know, but them having that option a lot of times gives them more buy-in and more interest in actually wanting to try. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. 
head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So I've got, like I had said, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. And with the four-year-old, he loves to come to the grocery store and, like, look at foods and choose foods, right? And what he wants to put in his lunch. He's just started JK. And I get way more buy-in from him when he is the one that, like, helps me select the foods and put them in the cart. Or if we're talking about like a new fruit or a new vegetable and we're looking at it and it's like, hmm, we've never tried this before. Like, I wonder what it tastes like. Is it sweet or is it whatever? You know, and we talk it through a little bit and he's exposed to it, like you said, in the store, super neutral. He's not expected to eat it. He's just kind of there on an adventure checking things out. And then when I go to introduce it at a snack time or at a meal time at a later date, I'm like, remember when you picked this out at the grocery store and you put it in the cart? Like, do you want to try this in your lunch tomorrow? How cool of an experiment would that be? And he's already had, like you said, those exposures before there's any real yes. pressure. My son, for whatever reason, will only eat hummus if it's the one that he's picked out at the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> Don't you love it? It's so – they have their little, like, quirks and hangups, but they're also these little people who are forging their own personalities, and, and they don't have to – adjust to all of our expectations and they will make that very clear to us you know they're not always going to take our lead and I think that in life and and working with families and kids who you know go through these stages that that stubbornness and that tenacity is actually an amazing skill and speaks to resilience but man it can be a pain in the butt to parent some days you know oh yes (laughs) So another major issue, okay, this is like my absolute biggest pet peeve beyond like power struggles and everything is food throwing. Mm. And this happens, I feel like this happens more like younger than preschool age, more like certainly in the toddler age with my kids at least. It starts when they start kind of like feeding themselves to the odd time even my two and a half year old will like to throw his food. And I tell you, my blood could absolutely (laughs) boil when that happens, especially, you know, for those moms who have just spent their afternoon or evening preparing a nice meal that took time and effort and thought and meal planning and grocery shopping and all of those things for a kid to just throw it on the floor is super frustrating. So, is that something that moms bring too much? Do you have any kind of strategies or thoughts around that? 
Yes, for sure. And oh my goodness, I just have that image in my mind of like my daughter looking me in the eye and picking up her food. (laughs) Right? Oh, and it's like the defiance. Like, I don't know what part of it that gets me more, whether it's the food on the floor. Everyone's yeah. like, oh, just get a dog. You know, the dogs will eat it. I'm like, no, I don't I don't need another thing to take care of. Thank you very much. But I don't know if it's the actual food on the floor or the time that I've spent preparing it or the look of defiance, like you said, that you see in your daughter where they like intentionally know what I they're know. doing. Okay. So there's a couple yeah. things that I've seen work with other families. One is doing a no thank you bowl. And for the younger ones, you know, under one, if they're throwing, they're probably not going to get this. But if you're into that toddler age and they're throwing, you can say, this is your no thank you bowl. Any food that you don't want, you just put it into your no thank you bowl. And sometimes just being able to clear it off their plate and knowing what to do with it is a big help. Some people say, nope, that didn't work. They just threw that too. I say, okay, then we need to focus on, I mean, we have to remember they are young. They're still learning what's appropriate. And we often get caught up in the moment of reacting because, yeah, there's so much emotion behind it. Where are you like, I made this whole meal and you're just throwing it on the totally. floor. But reminding them before the meal starts, it makes mommy so happy. It makes me so happy when you keep your food on your plate or on your tray, whatever it is. And let's work on keeping it there. Just setting those expectations and then being able to kind of give them attention at the meal too. A lot of times it's about that. They want your attention. So if you can really say, oh, you're doing such a great job keeping that food on the plate. A lot of times for a lot of kids, that's what works. And then not having that crazy reaction when they do throw, (laughs) which is hard to stop yourself from being like, stop, you know, but (laughs) if we can stop ourselves from doing that, then a lot of times they say, oh, I didn't get the attention that I was hoping for when I threw that food. Totally. And I think that like self-regulation has these like developmental ages, right? So you're not going to expect your one-year-old to regulate their Mm -hmm. food throwing, right? Like they're not going to really know or have the awareness or like correct really in that way. And then as they start to grow, their level of self-regulation changes. And some kids grow into that faster than others and, you know, all of that. So there's definitely like a self-regulation piece, but then also there is that behavioral piece, like you said, where um, so, for example, I spoke to my pediatrician about this uh, at one point because we were having major trouble at meal times with the two older boys when I had the baby and whatever. And she was like, "Okay, what are you guys doing? Like, are you sitting up with them? Are you eating with them? And whatever." And really, the truth of it is, we had gotten into some bad habits where I was putting the kids in their high chairs, serving them their food, and then like doing things for the baby or like washing up the kitchen or like doing these other things, right? So they were kind of left, not unsupervised because I'm there, but I'm not like sitting down engaged with them and in in conversation with them. Or the TV might have been on in the background or these types of things. So we went through this complete revamp in terms of our like schedule around what a mealtime looks like. And everyone sat up to the table and everyone, you know, is like served the same food and I sit down and I eat the same food with them and whatever. And like you said, just that intentional time with them and talking to them about what they're eating or maybe they want me to help them eat the odd bite here and there um, 
or whatever made a world of difference in terms of the power struggling in our house, just the routine in itself. Yes, absolutely. And it can be so hard. I know that moms are always in that like GSD, you know, get stuff done mode. And so it can be really hard to like um, sit and do that. But it really can make a humongous difference in the way that everyone feels and acts at the mealtime. Yeah. Well, and I think that when you're talking dinner time specifically, I feel like most moms struggle during this time because especially if you've been at home with the kids all day long, or I guess if also mm-hmm. if you've worked and you've had a stressful day, there's lots of different factors throughout the day, but everyone is depleted at mealtime, you know, and mom's ability or dad's or parents' ability to like really tune in with their child who is like having meltdowns and is tired is also like they've got less resources in themselves as the parent to be so present and in tune because it's just, it's the end of the day for everybody, right? So it takes a lot of conscious effort and it takes some sacrifice as the parent to do that and to like, you know, I know that the dishes aren't going to get done right now. That means I have to do them once the kids go to bed and that is stinky because I just want to chill. But at the same time, I'm going to avoid that power struggle with them and it's going to be a much better overall experience for everybody and even potentially bonding opportunity to hear about their day and tune in with them if I can just, you know, sit down and and give them those few minutes. I do think that it's one of those things that the more you do it, the more you crave it. Because I was in the same position where when I had my youngest was a baby and my husband often works late. So it was really hard to be able to make that like dinner time really happen beyond putting down a plate of food for my son and just kind of, you know, nursing the baby or whatever. But as she came out of baby phase, I was more equipped to be able to actually sit with them. And I just saw such a change in my son. He was much more pleasant at mealtimes. He looked forward to it more. And it definitely, yeah, even if it's just a couple minutes that they're sitting there, because we know that they don't always have a big attention span for sitting at a meal. But being able to do that really is, is just fulfilling. Yeah. And like you said, the more they become accustomed to it and hopefully the older they get and the less challenging the stage becomes, the more everyone can enjoy that like practice as a family, right? And just hearing about each other's day. You always see that in like movies and pictures of whatever, at least family <laughs> mealtimes. I'm like, one day we will get there. <laughs> right, right now, we're not there. Like we haven't dined out with our kids oh, no. in like ever. No. Because like, yeah, like they're too little, too crazy. We took our four-year-old as like a celebration for his first day of school for a lunch, just my husband, him and I. We're like, oh my gosh, we're out in public eating with our kids. Like this is crazy. And he did amazing because he's four and he's older and he gets it, right? And he didn't throw a spoon and he just colored his sheet. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that will reemerge into like society, yes. right? But <laughs> so funny. So in terms of sitting, I've got boys and like, I mean, I guess I have nothing to compare them to at home because I don't have girls, but man, these boys do not sit still. So do you set expectations or times or do you talk to parents in terms of like how long a child should sit or when they should graduate out of their high chair or any of that? Yes. So I would say five to 10 minutes max for young kids is really what's 
appropriate. I mean, even think about when they're in preschool doing activities, those teachers don't have them doing the same thing for more than 10 to 15 minutes at a time because they simply don't have the attention span. And sitting still at dinner is the same kind of thing. What I really like to encourage parents to do is to prep their child for, okay, dinner time is in a couple minutes. We're going to be sitting down. Okay, now it's time to wash your hands and then start, you know, maybe with a a prayer, if that's something you do, or a family song, something like that to kind of signal the beginning of the meal. Some parents do really benefit from using a visual timer. There's even apps that you can get, but you can buy on Amazon too. But some kids really need that. And you can kind of slowly increase over time. But even just starting with those couple of minutes is like totally appropriate to think about starting there. You said two really amazing things. I love the idea of a signal of the start of mealtime, whether it's a prayer or a song or like, let's all get on the same page, like it's time to eat. I love that idea. And then two, I was going to ask you about timers. So we've used timers before um, and I've just never, I guess, really known what Like we've tried different times and whatever, but I've kind of just said it so that they'll sit there and like eat all their food, you know, like I've never really (laughs) given them any grace with it in terms of how long it should really be set for. It's just more been for them to like tune in that it's mealtime. So for the two-year-old, he's the, well, he's not the youngest, but he's the one that like sits and the baby just is kind of chilling in his high chair. So you would say like five to 10 minutes for him, like 10 minutes is an absolute win in terms of sitting for mealtime, you think? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And should like, not should, because I guess there's no hard and fast rules, but like what point would you graduate from high chair to sitting? Because I think that that self-regulation, well, it was different for my first versus my second. Like I find that two different temperaments and personalities, one will actually like sit still in his chair and one like hasn't been as successful at it as of yet. But (laughs) what are your thoughts on that in terms of high chair? I think it depends on the child. I mean, Many children around that 12 to 18 month mark actually can move to like a booster seat at the table. But the main thing to keep in mind is also that they're at a height that is easy for them to eat at. If you think about like if you were sitting in a regular chair, a dining chair at a bar and the food's up by your head, like that would be really uncomfortable and hard to eat. And you would probably not be very happy about that. And that's kind of how our kids are if they're just in a regular chair at a table. So we've got to think about bringing them up to the appropriate height. But usually by that two-year mark, a lot of kids can move to that like booster seat type situation. If it depends on the child as well, you know, everyone that age is so different in terms of development so that you kind of want to go by your kid. You know, I don't have like a hard and fast number on that. For sure. And it sounds like you go for like comfort and having them seated up to like a proper height and not um, like booster seat wouldn't be as much for like restraining or like even a chair, although some of them do have like straps or whatever. Yeah. Safety and comfort at the table. (laughs) Right. Right. Love it. I'm thinking about, so this is a little bit of a side note, and I don't know if you have an opinion on this or not. I was looking at a poll in another mom's stories, uh, like last week, I want to say, and she was asking what type of high chair to get for her daughter. And um, she's sick of her high chair. It's so like hard to clean because you know how crazy mm-hmm. and, like these gadgets can get. And so everyone was recommending the Ikea high chair because it's so like you can spray it down and it's super easy. But then there was all this debate about like why they need to have a footrest. 
that's something that you're familiar with at all. It's very random. And if you're not, that's totally I okay. am. Yes. Okay. okay. So this, when I, my son was a baby, I didn't know anything about that. I was just like, what? A high chair is a high chair. But, you know, now there's yeah. all these different options. Um, so they ideally for at least the baby age, you do want them to have some sort of foot support just in terms of helping them stabilize their trunk. And like, this is not an area I'm an expert in, but from what I've read is that that's the most important thing is them being able to kind of stabilize their body to help them with those motor skills to eat. Um, As they get a little bit older, then they're not in as much need of that support, but it's still kind of nice to not have your feet dangling when you're eating. Um, So I'd say they do make little footrests that you can buy to put on Ikea high chair. The Ikea high chair is the one that we use because it is so easy to clean and it's cheap. (laughs) It's really cheap. (laughs) It's so affordable. I know we had like multiple of them for the kids and you could just like literally (laughs) hose them down outside if you wanted to. They're so easy. Yeah. But yeah, I do find with those chairs, so if you are going to put like a young baby when you start to sit them up five and six months to like explore and whatever, that they have a really big gap between the tray and themselves in the Ikea chair specifically. So I can see now when you're talking about the footrest, how that could be so beneficial for those younger ages where they're still quite wobbly and not quite coordinated and things, right? That makes sense. Right. They might not, they might need like a rolled up towel around them as well when they're younger in that chair to kind of support them a little bit. Ideally, you want them to have be able to sit up on their own for short amounts of time when you're ready to feed them because the, again, they they do much better when they have some sort of stability. Right. Yes. Yeah, I'm just thinking about our experience. And when we first started with the kids, it was, I think we had high chairs that like pulled in closer to them and they were just like super well supported in them where the Ikea one, there's just like more space in it and they move around mm-hmm. more. But yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm like, I don't know if you know <laughs> I happen to do see it. Yes. I've never heard this. I have three kids and I've never been like, hmm, I wonder right. if my high chair has a footrest. Like, I know. <laughs> so funny. The things like in this, when we're talking about overwhelm, like these are all the things, you know, that moms are juggling and trying to keep in mind when it comes mm-hmm. to taking care of their babes. Right. I know. I know. So crazy. Yeah. So I'm thinking about all the other things I want to pick your brain with. And so we went over tips for picky eaters. We've gone over sitting. We've gone over that power struggle at bedtime. We've gone over the healthy food stuff as well and like healthy relationship with food. One of the things that um, I've thought about and talked about in terms of body image with, with other moms is like how moms perceive food and then how they talk about food in front of their kids. And I don't know if that's something that you help to neutralize the language for moms and, and parents and how they present things. Like, should things be talked about as being, oh, this is a really healthy food for you versus this is like a junk food? How should moms be educating their children around food? Yes, that is a great topic to discuss. And for young children, the most important thing is modeling and showing them what's appropriate versus telling them. So if you're serving them the foods, like they don't need to know a whole lot about the nutrition or really anything about it as a young kid. You might talk about like, this is a fruit, you know, identifying, but saying like, this is good for you. I would never tell a child that something is bad for them or unhealthy because it's really easy for 
people to start tying those words to themselves and feeling like they are bad if they like a certain food or they are not healthy if they like a certain food. So I really try to avoid any of that negative talk about foods because at the end of the day, food does serve, all foods serve a purpose and they give our body um, energy. So I really don't like to label anything as good or bad. We do in my house with my son who he's almost five, we've started talking about fun foods. So those are like desserts or French fries, that kind of thing. And we say this is a fun food, but we also um, like to eat other foods that are more, um, how do I say it, like help our body to grow that, you know, that kind of thing. But I I really don't get more in depth in it than that, because the reality is them, what they see you do a majority of the time is what they're learning. It's more about what you do than what you say. But (laughs) keep in mind that you're not focusing on those negatives. You're not using dessert as a punishment or you're not withholding dessert as a punishment or using it as a reward because we don't want them equating that, you know, it's some sort of value. That is, it's so interesting. And I've really been trying to neutralize my language around food and not talk about good versus bad foods, especially since I've been introduced to this whole like intuitive eating. Um, and I do see how people like really internalize those things, especially kids who really can't like distinguish, you know, mm-hmm. the difference. But one of the things that I'm so guilty for, and this is something I need to work on, is like having an incentive to eat. And often it's like a treat or like a juice box or something that they want to earn in order, like so they will eat in mm-hmm. order to earn something. And um, what I've been trying to do more of is just normalizing and putting those foods on the same playing field as all the other foods, right? So like when I serve my kid his lunch, my son his lunch, I will pack it and I will pack some carrots and I'll pack some, you know, his like wrap and his this and his that. And then I will put like a little Kit Kat bar in there or some Smarties where his raisins would be or whatever and integrate these fun foods as you called my love that, those fun foods in with other foods so that it's not, I don't know, like you said, there's no difference in value, I guess. Right. Yeah. You're not putting it on a pedestal. You're not saying you have to do this to earn that. It's really interesting to me because I think as a society, we've kind of come, you know, from a place of not knowing much about nutrition, then kind of going into this restriction mindset of thinking, okay, we need to restrict. And then realizing that that has negative impacts on everybody's mental health. So now we have to figure out a way of how we can incorporate these foods because they're not going anywhere. Our kids are going to be around desserts for the rest of their life. They're going to be around all these really delicious things that we know don't have much nutritional value, but we need to know how to be comfortable around them, how to self-regulate around them. And so like what you're doing of saying, okay, I'm going to include a serving of this in your lunch, you're communicating to your son, like, yeah, we have some of these foods, but like your entire lunchbox is not made up of Kit Kats. Exactly. And it like there is no moral value in food. 
Like food is not good versus bad. And and I'm learning that the more we restrict, like you said, and we went through this whole, like as a society, restrict all the bad food, the more you see people mm-hmm. binging or the more you see p- kids going to their friends' houses and binging out on candy and pop and junk food until they're like throwing up at a sleepover because they haven't been allowed to have any of those fun foods in their house exactly. or in their diet. And that moms can like take a deep breath and know that they're actually doing something by teaching their kids how to have control with those foods. So like allowing it isn't a failure, right? Like it's not nothing to experience shame about, but that they're actually teaching their kid how to have control and regulate and be in tune with and trust their body to know when they want it and when they don't and how much is too much and when they're full and regulating themselves in that way than just restricting them from it. Exactly. And if they're not living in a restriction environment, then they know like, okay, I'm going to have M&Ms again. I don't need to eat every M&M in sight because I have no idea when my mom's going to allow it me to have it again. And I just think it's it's really important for us to acknowledge the reality of it. And yeah, being like what you said, being able to tune into your body and what it's telling you and knowing that like, okay, my stomach is feeling really full right now. I don't want any more cookies. Like that's a life skill. It's important. And it's a skill that so few of even adults have, right? Mm -hmm. Because we've just been taught to restrict. And when I started to pay attention to like, oh, I'm hungry and I can eat even though it's not lunchtime. (laughs) You know what I mean? And just pay attention to that. Oh, I can grab a snack or I don't have to wait or I don't have to follow all of these quote unquote food rules. Mm -hmm. Then you learn to trust your body and to be in tune with those things. So when I was in college, I remember counting calories and thinking that that was the thing to do. And if I was supposed to have X number of calories a day, because that's what I read in like Cosmopolitan magazine, you know, and then not connecting the fact that like, I was still hungry at the end of the day, but I thought I couldn't eat. And now I'm like, that's so silly. My body's telling me that it was hungry. Clearly I needed food, but because it didn't line up with that outside calorie limit, I thought it wasn't okay. So I just really encourage moms to be able to foster that in their kids to listen to their bodies. Like that's such a huge thing. Yeah. And if you're hungry, you don't just have to drink (laughs) water or do these other things, you know, and, and as um, like Dr. Morgan from episode two would say, like, break your body trust and not listen to your body's cues and what it's trying to communicate with you, but actually just nourish yourself and feed your body if you're hungry, right? And teaching those skills to our kids and being in tune with their fullness and their hunger cues and all of those things uh, and trying to honor when they're full and not telling them, oh, just finish what's on your plate or those types of things is so valuable as a skill for them to learn and be in control and in tune with their body. Yes, yes, yes. I get questions a lot on portion sizes. And while we can show them, you know, what's a scoop of something so they're not loading up their entire plate at once, more out of courtesy to other people than anything else, but knowing that it's okay if they want more than a portion size. It's so subjective of what a portion size is, and it's okay if they want more. Yeah, I love that. I love all of what you are serving all the things right now, all of the nuggets that you are delivering to us. It's so 
valuable and it's going to help so many moms and just put them at ease that, you know, they're doing a lot of the right things. And for the times that they're struggling, here are some really practical things that they can try. So Casey, why don't you fill us in on where we can find you, where you hang out online. And I know you've got some really amazing free resources and guides for moms as well. Yes, absolutely. So you can find me at mamanosnutrition.com. That's M-A-M-A. And I'm on Instagram all the time at mamanos underscore nutrition. You can access my free guides right from the link in my profile there. I have a picky eater starter guide. I have a guide to get your kids to stay at the table longer. I have um, a healthy cereal, low sugar cereal guide. All those are free. So take what you'd like. And uh, I would love to connect with you guys on Instagram. I love that. And what I will do is I will link to all of those resources and the things that we've talked about in the interview today. I will put them in the link that is in the description for the show notes so that it can direct everybody to where to find you so they can hang out with you and see all the hard work that you're putting in on Instagram. I love it. And I love following along with you. So thank you, Casey, so much for taking the time. And I just so appreciate your knowledge in this area. Yeah, this was great. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that we're discussing today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.